Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, as we continue a series there looking at uh, the Lord's gospel promises even as far back as these early chapters of God's Word. Uh, I think it's good for us to be reminded uh, from time to time that uh, we are one local family of believers. We are one local church, that there are other gatherings of God's people all across this city meeting right now to worship the Lord. Uh, And others that are gathering across the state, across this country, even all over the world today uh, to sing praises, to fellowship in the name of the one Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And certainly there are many today who do not know him. I pray that as God's people that our hearts would be broken over those who do not know uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who do not know our Savior and our Lord. There are billions around the world today who do not know him, but even so, the gospel has spread from one end of the globe to the other. Perhaps a better way of that saying that would be around the globe. But have you ever paused to think about uh, the strategy that God uses or has used and is using to spread who he is, to spread his fame? That God uses people. That he uses all kinds of people. That he uses the young and the old, the rich and the poor, blacks and whites and Asians and Americans. He uses boys and girls uh, to share and to show who he is. This is the strategy that God has chosen. God uses people to accomplish his plans. The creator of all life, the one who holds uh, the world in his hands, the one who fashioned your life into existence, this creator uses creatures to carry out his good and his perfect will. And not perfect people, flawed and broken and sinful people to spread his word and to call for faith in him. And so today we do return to the book of Exodus and we trace and we retrace Moses' steps to the palace of Egypt as he confronts the king of Egypt and calls for Pharaoh to let God's enslaved uh, Israelites go so that they may worship him. And so far in this journey, he's encountered numerous obstacles, Uh, some internal obstacles, things like fear and doubt, discouragement, others external obstacles, things like ridicule and torment from the king and now disbelief from his own people, the Israelites. But even so, despite obstacles, the Lord has been faithful because the Lord is always faithful. The Lord has reminded Moses that that he is sovereign and that he is working out salvation for his people. You see, though his human agents are facing intensifying challenges, things are going according to plan. They're going according to God's plan. And right here, as we come to chapter 6 in the journey, uh, midway through chapter 6, the narrative is disrupted by a genealogy. Now, if you spend much time at all reading the scriptures, then you notice uh, a number of genealogies signifying that these lists of names must be significant. They must be important. Here it is, a, a partial family record in order to anchor two men, to anchor Moses and Aaron specifically to the tribe of the priesthood. You see, soon Israel, no doubt, would want to know where these particular spiritual leaders fit into God's plan for his covenant people. Lineage mattered. Ancestry mattered. And such genealogies in God's word help us trace God's unwavering commitment to his people and his promises. And they highlight the the real life humanity of the men and women that God uses in his plans. 
And so I'm not going to read our, our genealogy this morning. Sometimes we do that together, but I do want to acknowledge its significance. And before we stand to read our primary uh, preaching text for today, I want to read the two verses that follow this genealogy in chapter 6. So Exodus chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, right after uh, spelling out this list of names that ultimately uh, speaks of Moses and particularly of Aaron and his role in the priesthood. Uh, Listen to what the author of Exodus writes. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 26, he says, It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He says, This same Moses and Aaron. And no doubt there are some contextual challenges every time we open up God's word. We have... Uh, a distance of time uh, and of culture and of language, things that we have to uh, we, we have to, to, to dive into the culture, historical and literary culture of the day to help us glean what God is saying. But I think the message right here in those couple of verses is rather clear. It is as if God is saying these two particular leaders of Israel were real people living in real time in a real place, serving. Uh, the real God. They had a start date and a finish date. Notice that it says it was this Aaron and Moses, this same Moses and Aaron. They had a date of conception and a day of death. And yet even so, as frail and flawed as they were, they participated in the plans of the one who is the great I am. The one and only God who is self-sustaining and self-existing The unchanging one overall, Yahweh, is the name by which he made himself known, recorded in most of our English Bibles as the Lord in all caps. God uses people to accomplish his plans. And so church, now let's look at how he used these two ancient people in Israel's history and in our history. So as you find your place in God's word, you can find this text on page 49 of a pew Bible, but as you find your place in God's word, invite you, as is our custom here, to join me uh, again standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 28, and I'll read through chapter 7, verse 7. The Bible reads this way. It says, Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to them, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Chapter 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my mighty hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Would you bow with me? And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being a God who speaks to us. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us now the presence and power and guidance of your spirit instruct us in the truth that we might know and walk with you it's in the name of jesus we pray amen you may be seated well god uses people to accomplish his plans and one of the specific ways that god uses people to accomplish his plans is by uh, instructing his servants to speak on his behalf 
God instructs his servants to speak his word. We stated before and we'll state again, the central question of the book of Exodus is who is the Lord? Who is this Lord? Who is this one who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who has heard the groaning of his impressed of his oppressed people and is coming to the rescue? Who is he? Who is this God who appeared to to Moses in the wilderness through the burning bush and called Moses to go and to confront the king? Who is this Lord who demands Pharaoh's submission? Who is he? Well, he says to Moses in verse 29, he says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. In other words, speak to Pharaoh everything that I speak to you. Speak my word because of who I am. I am the Lord. Friend, what God says matters because it is the word of God. He says to Moses and Aaron, go and speak my word. The word of God, a phrase that's used to describe this book, Old and New Testament, the one known as the Bible, given to us that we may know and serve the Lord. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. And church, I pray that the weightiness of that sinks into our minds and our hearts as we seek to follow after the one and only God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be not thoroughly equipped for every good work. In essence, God says to Moses, Moses, use my word. Moses, speak my word. It's reliable. It's authoritative. It is sufficient to accomplish my plans through you. Chapter 7, verse 2. You are to say everything I command you. Moses, communicate my word. Moses, deliver my word. Nothing more, nothing less. Report on my behalf. That's what God tells his servants to do. So servants of God, report God's word faithfully. Report his word faithfully. This is what he calls us to do. If you teach, teach the word. If you preach, preach the word. As you evangelize, share the word. Eventually, this is what Moses and Aaron do. Verse 6, they did just as the Lord commanded them. It says, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. They did not hold back. They did not alter the message. They did not discount or diminish God's word as is often done today under the guise of relevance or palatability. For they did just as the Lord commanded them when they spoke to Pharaoh. And likewise, Paul the Apostle could join Moses and Aaron and say in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, he said, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In other words, Paul says, I've held nothing back. I've shared the fullness of God's word. I've instructed you according to his word. And believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, did you know that we too are servants of God that are instructed to speak his word? We are people who are called to report it faithfully. People God has chosen to use to accomplish His plans. If you're a believer, if you've repented and trusted in Christ for salvation, friend, you are His strategy. You are His plan. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Paul writes, as though God were making His appeal through us. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to a group of professional Christians. 
He's writing to believers, young and old, men and women, boys and girls, followers of Christ, and says we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as if God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God speaks through his servants. He speaks through us when we report his word faithfully. So let's report his word faithfully, and let's represent Christ willingly. Let's be people who represent him well. You see, Moses was a messenger of God, but he was not a perfect man. We don't have to look far in this account to see that he was flawed. To see that he made excuses, that he debated with God, that he was not up for the task that God had for him. God called him to go and to tell the king. But once again, in chapter 6, verse 30, Moses says to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? God, you've got the wrong guy. Somebody else would be far better suited for this task. Why are you asking me to do this? Alan Ross writes of this text, he says, Moses assumes that the communication of the word of God depends on the quality of the vehicle. He says, no. He says, God can effectually communicate through any means. Even the rocks could cry out. What God desires is a willing servant. Church, isn't that good news? We live in an entertainment-driven culture. We know this. And certainly that's spilled over into the church. Pressure to attract the masses. Pressure to engage audiences like the latest TED Talk presenter. Or to lure and to satisfy with vibrant lights and sounds and multimedia. Now, I'm not throwing all of those tools under the bus. We use some of those tools as long as they remain just that. Tools that shine the spotlight On the word of the Lord. God never says get out there and wow an audience. God never says convince your neighbor. To become a follower of Jesus. He never says make it easy for folks to repeat some words and to check a box. But he does say scatter the seed of my word. And then trust the harvest to me. So servant of God speak the word of the Lord to those the Lord puts before you. By reporting his word faithfully. By representing Christ willingly. And then trust the results to God. Trust the results to him. God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But then the Lord goes on. He says in verse 3, he says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Right here, God essentially says that he's going to ensure, he's going to guarantee three responses to Moses' and Aaron's obedience. Number one, Pharaoh will not listen. doesn't matter what Moses says. doesn't matter what signs are performed. Pharaoh will not listen. He will not submit to the Lord. Number two, Israel will be delivered by the Lord's mighty hand. The Lord is going to deliver his people. And number three, Egypt will know that Yahweh is the Lord. And so these servants of God speak the word of the Lord so that people may come to know him. They come to know that he is the Lord, not because of human ingenuity or might or strength or wisdom or pomp, but because this is God's plan for his people through his through his proclaimed word. God uses people to accomplish his plans. He instructs his servants to speak his word and he instructs his servants then to demonstrate his word, to demonstrate his power. God instructs his servants to demonstrate his power. So let's look back at the story. The story continues in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. The story goes on. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. So remember the story. God calls Moses to go. Moses complains. He says, no, I'm not worthy to go. I can't speak. He says, well, I'll send Aaron, your brother. He's a good speaker. He'll go and speak on your behalf. And then they continue. Moses continues to argue with the Lord. Well, what if they don't believe? He says, well, I'm going to give you these signs to perform that will validate the message that you are are giving. So Yahweh gives Moses and Aaron miraculous signs to accompany his word before the king. Aaron's staff becomes a snake. A symbol, a divine symbol of Pharaonic power in that day in ancient Egypt. But then Pharaoh's wise men, his magicians, essentially performed the same sign. Through deceit or through satanic power, we cannot know for sure. But either way, verse 12, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. As if to shout, Pharaoh and his gods are no match for Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. He is the ultimate. And the only, friend, there will be counterfeits in this world who seek to do for you what only God can do for you. At times they will be attractive and alluring, who aim to be what only God is, who demand what only God deserves. Do not worship them. Many of these change from generation to generation, from culture to church to to culture. Do not serve the gods of this age. Be they money or pleasure or fame or power, but worship and serve the living God, the one who both rescues and recreates by his unmatched grace. In other words, God doesn't just save us by his grace. He certainly does. That's a central tenet of our faith. That salvation is by God's grace, not by works. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. He saves us by his grace. But he also does a transformative, ongoing work in our lives by his grace through his ongoing, indwelling Holy Spirit. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Christian, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God. And true righteousness and holiness. Of course in the context of that chapter. It's a picture of the church. And the unity in the body of of Christ. And this contrast between an old way of living. Without Christ. Separate from Christ. And a new way of living in Christ. A way of living that reflects the gospel of Jesus. In other words the Lord saves you as you are. But he does not leave you as you are. This is the sign the Lord now gives to you and to me. A life changed by His grace. You see, we are called to speak God's word faithfully. And we're called to demonstrate his power. But uh, unfortunately, I guess, we we don't carry around a staff with us. We don't carry around a, a stick with us that we can throw down and demonstrate mighty power from on high. 
But we don't live in a day like that. We don't live in a culture like that. And even if we did, uh, that isn't no sign that the Lord would use that sort of tool for us. But I want you to know in, in the mind of one little boy, this, this thing right here is able to do just that. Now, you're familiar with what this is. You've, you've seen one of these before. This is uh, a white plastic hanger. And uh, I know one such five-year-old boy who says this thing can do anything in his mind. And I'm not exaggerating. It happens every day at the Jones household. So I quizzed him about this. And he said, yes. He said, it can be uh, wings that you wear. It can be a hat on your head. It can be a bridge that you cross, a door that you enter through. It can be a wrecking ball. It can be a snake. It can be a microphone. It can be anything that you want. It has that capacity. But church, I, I hold this before you this morning, not so that you'll think of my five-year-old son, but so you'll think, I hope, of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes, as followers of Jesus, we undergo a transformation that is likened to changing our clothes, putting off an old self before Christ, without Christ, and putting on a new self, a new set of clothes in Jesus Christ. The truth is we don't have a staff like Aaron's. We, we don't carry around a visible sign, so to speak, or symbol of God's presence with us and power through us that can be shared on the spot to demonstrate His marvelous power. Of course, we see uh, charismatic gifts of healing and speaking in tongues and things like that in certain circles today. But regardless, and we're not going to dive into those this morning. Maybe we will another day. But regardless of whether or not you believe that those gifts are present and alive in the church today, we do know that they've often been uh, abused They've often been used in ways that take the focus off of God's power and His Word and shift them onto a particular human vehicle in such a way that brings greater glory and praise for the messenger than the Messiah. And in the Bible, God's Word and His power always serve to remove any praise for human messengers and point it squarely on the Lord. So yes, God uses people to accomplish His plans, but it's never really about the people. It's about God's gracious work toward and through his people. So friends, stand eager and ready and willing for Christ Jesus to work through you. But don't ever let it be about you. Instead, follower of Christ, deny yourself. As you serve the Lord, as you follow him, as you fulfill the particular call that he has on your life, as you speak his word and demonstrate his power, deny yourself like Moses, recognize your limitations your fears and your doubts and your shortcomings, but then trust Him to work for His glory through you. This is the way He works. God uses people to accomplish His plans, but don't forget that they are His plans. He is the central character and the hero of the story, yet in His mercy, He invites us to be participants in His story. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus once said to His followers, He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my student, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And so church, how do we demonstrate God's power as we speak his word? This is something we are called to do. How do we do it? By living a life that proves our faith in Jesus. In our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, demonstrating our love for Christ rather than using words and attitudes and deeds that detract from it. A changed life is the greatest demonstration of the power of the gospel of Jesus. So friends, let's invite Christ to change us. 
for the sake of his witness through us. Do you believe God enough to lay your life before him? Do you believe his word enough to give yourself to him, to to worship and to serve him? To acknowledge that he is supreme, that he is unmatched, that he is worthy of your praise. Or do you talk to him and about him more than you talk about sports or hobbies or other things? Do you spend more time with him and his people than you do on the baseball field or in the deer stand or scrolling through social media? Church, do you give more money to his church and kingdom causes than you do to Amazon or your favorite football team or maintaining a certain level of living? Some would say I'm meddling. I'm meddling in my own life this morning. This is the Lord calls us to serve him, to follow him, to lay our lives before him, to exalt him and him alone. And in our church covenant, we say that we we are called to share and to show the love of Christ. Be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus. So church, let's be a people who share and show the love of Jesus by speaking the truth of the gospel of grace and showing the greatness of his grace by giving ourselves fully to him because we have come to know that he is the Lord and because we long to live our lives in such a manner that point others to him. Friend, God desires to use us. He desires to use you. God uses people to accomplish his plans, real people in real time and real history. He used Moses, and he desires to use you. But the truth is, his use of you and me and Moses and others mean nothing if they are not deeply rooted in his use of another man, a particular man, an unequaled man, the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, A real man in real time, in real history, who was the fullness of God in human flesh, walking the dusty streets of Galilee, speaking the word of God, and demonstrating the power of God before ultimately laying down his life as the ultimate sacrifice to God, providing unending forgiveness and lasting life for you and for me. And of this one, Paul writes, he says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we bring this back, God says to Moses, go and speak my word. Demonstrate my power so that others may know that I am the Lord. And now, church, he says to us. He says, go and speak my word, speak my gospel and demonstrate my power as you live out a genuine and authentic faith in me that others may know that Jesus is Lord. Church, God uses people, people like us to accomplish his plans, to lead others, to know that he is the Lord. So let's be a people who get on board with that mission. Let's be a people who get on board with his plans. Let's live for the glory of Jesus. Let's be a people, individuals, families, church family that lives for the glory of Jesus. What a privilege to serve him and to be used by him. We ask you as we conclude this morning, are you living for the glory of Jesus? Are you living your life in such a way? Are you using your words in such a way that other people might look to you and know that Christ Jesus is Lord? Are you living for his glory? 
Who are you inviting by your life's witness to know that He is Lord? Friend, God uses people to accomplish His plans. How is He using you? Do you bow with me? Father, we thank You that You are a gracious God. That You are a God in Your sovereign plan. Your unmatched wisdom. Lord, who has chosen to save people, sinners, broken, flawed, rebellious people like us by Your grace. Lord, You are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But Lord, You not only rescue us by Your grace, but You invite us into Your family. You call us Your people. Lord, You equip us with Your indwelling Spirit. And You privilege us with positions of serving You. Lord, may we as as Your children be Your ambassadors. Lord, give us courage, give us strength. Give us trust in you to do so. Father, may we faithfully serve you. Father, may we now respond to the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel. May we confess sin that you reveal to us. Lord, may we turn and trust in Christ once again for salvation, perhaps not once again, perhaps for the first time. Lord, lead us to trust you, to serve you, to follow after you, to be your people. Lord, give us gratitude in our hearts to recognize your hand at work in our lives and give you praise for it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.